Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast, but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, these 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Welcome to the Urban Farm Podcast's Chat with an Expert series. This is a segment that we will periodically do as relevant and newsworthy topics present themselves. In each chat, we will ask an urban farming expert questions related to their area of expertise, diving more deeply into some of the important issues of our times. Today we have Catherine Crowley, the herb lady, to talk about her experience on growing culinary herbs. Welcome, Catherine. Well, uh, thank you, Greg. Glad to be on again. Yes, absolutely. Great to have you. So Catherine, also known as the Herb Lady, is a self-taught, hands-in-the-dirt urban farmer who experiments and researches constantly for new and interesting edibles, as well as playing with old favorites. She was given the nickname the Herb Lady when vendors and customers, which I actually remember this, at the farmer's markets would say, go ask the Herb Lady for questions on herbs, and it stuck. Catherine has taught many cooking and gardening classes at various locations, private and public, including the notable Boyce Thompson Arboretum, which is an Arizona State Park, and Phoenix's own Desert Botanical Garden. She has been a newspaper columnist for four years, writing on growing and using edible herbs. Catherine has a blog online and is a regular vendor at her local farmer's market. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Greg. Absolutely. So... If you want to hear more from Catherine, 
Uh, we had her on the podcast recently, and I have to tell you, Catherine, I learned a lot in our conversation about herbs. I've been growing here in Phoenix for over 40 years, and I learned so much in our conversation about growing herbs, which I didn't know. There was, there's, there's an amazing amount of information out there on herbs and what there, they do. Yeah, there is, and, and I'm glad that I uh, kind of added to your knowledge. That's what's fascinated me about them. You know, people, I, I tease about it's more than parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, as the song says. Yeah, A exactly. lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so I, we have herbs that just grow in our yard here, and so one of my neighbors was asking for them, and uh, October in Phoenix, so that's, you know, at the beginning of the season for the winter herbs and the end for the summer herbs. So let's see, I got rosemary, sage, oregano, and basil for right out of our yard. What do you have growing? Right now I have some lavender, rosemary, I have sage, three types, well, three types of oregano, basil, I've got Thai basil, sweet Italian basil, which is the one most people are familiar with. Right. I have one of the purple basils. I have a couple of types of thyme, and my garlic is now up. I just planted it October 1st. Yeah. I can't wait for that to even get to the green garlic stage, which is you Mm. use like a scallion. And, oh, various different sages. I've got lemongrass, lemon verbena. I have lemon, actually it's a lime balm. It's a version of lemon balm. And... There's probably more right off the top of my head. I can't think of anything else. You you said balm, B-A-L-M. I first heard balm, and it was like a lime balm. What could that be? Well, lemon balm is an old favorite. It's one of the. It's one member of the many herbs that are in the mint family, mm-hmm. and it has a really nice lemony flavor. But this variation actually leans more towards lime, so it's got a slightly different essential oil profile than the lemon. They both have a, oh, the leaf looks a a little bit like a geranium, but it's really nice in teas. It's got a light essential oil, so it doesn't hold up in in heat environments, so Uh it would be good for like a sun tea or to add to cold Mm -hmm. beverages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you've spoken several times of this essential oil, and that's really what we're, a a big part of what we're getting out of the herbs, is it not? It is. It's both the flavor, the scent or aroma, and also it's what contains the beneficial aspects of herbs. Most herbs at their base are digestive aids, but many of them have additional antioxidant properties, including the anthocathins that people are reading more and more about. So it, it, it gives you flavor, it gives you fragrance and health benefits. Wow. What is, you said an anti-cathin? Yeah, the anti-cathins are the ones that are associated now primarily with the the uh, purple, red, blue fruits oh, and vegetables. Yeah. So any of the herbs that have any kind of a purple color to them have some anti-cathins in them, like the purple basil mm-hmm. or Thai basil, which has a wonderful basil tarragon flavor and oh. scent. And it's but it's got a really deep burgundy flower, so it's got some of the athacanthas in it too. Mm-hmm. And what do they do for us? They're basically they are uplifting your immune system at a base, and also helping you fight different things. Some of them are considered antiviral, uh-huh. so you know good for fighting colds and flus and things like that. 
There are some suggestions that many of these are anti-cancer agents, which is a good thing, but they're still really uh, working on those. But anything that boosts your immune system mm -hmm. is going to be a good thing. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So you, you also mentioned garlic and getting garlic in. Oh, yes, yes. Is I can never wait to plant my garlic in the yeah. fall. Here in the valley, you want to have it in by October 31st so mm. that you can be harvesting the nice big garlic heads that everyone looks for in late April, early May. Okay. But I, I overplant them so <laughs> that during the winter I can pull young ones. They look like a scallion, and you use them just like that. It's called green garlic or green scallions. Oh. And they're just like a scallion except it's garlic. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of fun to be able to just go out and pick one of those when I add, want to add some flavor. Right, exactly. Yeah, but you don't pull the whole thing up out of the ground. You just uh, with the green, yeah, with the green you do. It's it's like pulling just like pulling a scallion out of the ground. You use the whole thing except the roots. Actually, mm -hmm. you can put the roots back in and grow a little bit more of a green top. Right. What I do is I plant them very close together. I plant them about four inches apart, mm -hmm. and I pull. When I want to harvest a green one, I pull every other one so that by right. the time we're getting into March and uh -huh. April, there's more room for the remaining ones to produce that nice big head. Yeah, exactly. Wow. How You know, here you are again. You're teaching me something. I never even thought about that. It's Could just it's just really a fun way to maximize it because a lot of people say, well, gee, I got to wait six months before I get it. Well, yeah, but if you plant extra, then you can be harvesting during the uh, the winter. I do the same thing with onions when I plant them. Right, that makes sense. I just uh, but, well, the garlic thing makes sense too. I just never thought about it. <laughs> so in growing food, there is a term called cut and come again. Which basically, it's like lettuce. You, you Rather than pulling the whole plant up, you just take pieces of it and let it keep growing. You can't do that with the garlic? You you can if you cut the root off and you plant the root back. Because you can do the same thing with a scallion. You plant the root and it starts to bring up a green top again. Right. And so, yes, you'll get a second, maybe even a third growth if you want to just cut the greens and and instead of pulling the whole one. You just can't cut them off at, at ground level and let it come back? You could, yeah. I've never tried that. I usually what I do is I pull the whole green garlic or the or the green or the onion scallion, right. and then I cut the root off and leave about a half an inch of white on it and just replant it level with the with the surface of the soil, and you'll see the green sprout within days. The green will sprout right back up again. Right. Wow. Wow. How cool is that? It's, uh, it's kind of the ultimate recycling. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Have you ever grown garlic from seed? I am going to try that next year. I am going to attempt to collect seed in the spring. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be an experiment and talk to two other gardening buddies, and the three of us may work on this together. You have to catch the flower head right. and be able to harvest it. And then it's it's kind of an interesting technique. I've never done it, so it's going to be a, one of my wonderful experiments, and I'll have to see how it goes, and I'll let everyone know how it goes. Yeah, no, on your blog and here. Yeah, what you have to do is you have to cut the scape just as the sheath is starting to release the flowers. Uh-huh. And on the flowers, there are little garlic bulbettes. Right. And they would technically produce another plant of garlic, but you mm -hmm. want to remove those 
very carefully and then uh, and by the way you're cutting the flower off and you're going to keep it in a vase and then by removing those little bulbets it allows the real flower to come out oh and right. then it becomes uh, if you've ever seen the onion seeds like on a leek or a chive if the flower pollinates itself properly or or is kept healthy like i said this is going to be an experiment then right. it produces those seeds Wow. And then from what I've been reading and based on my experience with growing garlic anyway, it will probably take a year from planting the seed to actually getting head garlic out of it. Right. Well, that would make sense because the seeds are so teeny. It's very tiny, very yeah. tiny. Yeah, but it, but it's one of the things I'm going to mark a couple of the plants that are particularly healthy as I go towards March. Uh-huh. And make sure that I don't just cut the because when you want to force finish the head f- producing, uh-huh. you cut the scape off and you eat the scape. You can cook it up and use it just like the green garlic, and it's considered a delicacy. But I'm going to mark a couple of them and make sure I don't cut those off prematurely. Now you you said cut the scape. Yeah, the scape. Yeah, the scape is the flower stalk coming out. It's a oh, stiff yeah. stem. Mm-hmm. When you plant garlic, you're planting a clove. That right. clove becomes the the ultimate center stem of the new head. Mm-hmm. And so in the spring, mm-hmm. it's uh, in April, it sends starts to send up the flower stalk straight up out of that original clove as yep. a very stiff stem, with a cute little almost looking like a uh, swan head and, and beak right. on it. And it actually starts to curl around. It kind of twists in turns and when you're not going to try to harvest seed mm-hmm. you let that scape go to the top height of the leaves around it cut it off at the base without touching the leaves and then that kind of finishes the plant's process of developing the head into yeah. the individual cloves you can eat the scape and then uh, you know roughly within two to three weeks the leaves will start to turn yellow and that's when you harvest your new garlic head right and then you hang it to dry in the shade. Mm-hmm. The out- exterior turns papery. When it's really nice and papery, you have storable garlic. Right. Nice. Nice. So there's a little thing that grows on the outside of a head of garlic underground, and it's like a mini garlic, about you know a little bit smaller than the size of a dime. Yes, those are, and you you see those a lot on elephant garlic, uh-huh. which is technically a leak on steroids. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, those those are actually they're not technically a seed; they're sort of halfway between a, a seed and the clove, and those can be planted for new plants. Oh, really? So yeah, they they'll take a lot longer though than planting a clove to produce a head. They'll take longer than six months. Mm-hmm. I have harvested those with the intention of planting them and then started traveling and they just dried out. So yeah. like, you can plant those. Yeah. Well, they they make this little, really great little garlic popper, I guess we'd call them, because there's, there's uh, two layers of a sheath over or a skin over that. If you dig down and take the two layers off, there's this little pea-sized garlic in there that's, you know, 
tastes really good. Oh, sure. Yeah. Any part of it's going to be delicious. The heads themselves, you know, garlic is, there's lots of varieties, which, by the way, one of the reasons why I'm going to try the seed is there's a discussion about there's a limited number of varieties of garlic and, oh, and yeah. you know, that they're, people don't necessarily have the ability to do their own cross-breeding. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of the reasons for uh, thinking about trying to harvest actual true garlic seed. But garlic varieties range from mild to hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I recently figured that out when we harvested I think they called it black turban garlic out of the front yard that I planted last year and we tried it and it was it was very spicy. Uh-huh, yes. Yeah, yeah. and but spicy not like capsaicin. Spicy yeah. more like the mustard or the exactly. radish family. Wasabi. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Before we came on the air, you talked about something Catherine that was quite interesting. It it really piqued my interest and that is you called it herb soup. Yes, yeah. And and you also mentioned kind of in the same breath herb salad. So talk, talk to me about what those are. Okay. Well, these are, you know, they're not common, not well known. Maybe nobody, maybe many people have never heard of them in the US. Mm-hmm. They're sort they're really common in places like France and Europe where they've got where they've been growing whatever was wild in the fields for mm-hmm. centuries. So I ran across a uh, it's called a Provençal Provençal soup, and it is a mixture of herbs, greens, shallot, a little bit of butter. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to saute up the shallot like you would normally start a soup. Right. And there's lots of herbs. Uh, the recipe that I developed calls for four cups of chopped herbs, a wow. package of mixed greens like you would get from your farmer's market. Uh-huh. You know, croutons, like six cups, because this makes six bowls. Six cups of croutons and a lot of Parmesan cheese. <laughs> and so you're cooking this in water, mm-hmm. and which doesn't sound like it's going to taste great. It's awesome. You can use oh. broth, but the first time I made it, I, I told Dean, I says, I want to try this with water first. Uh-huh. And he's he's a great guinea pig. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's very, very tolerant and patient. And yeah. he was amazed. And he's basically your meat and potatoes guy. So if he liked mm-hmm. it, I think a lot of people would really be pleased with it. I mean, obviously, it's got all the greens in it, all the herbs in it for you, you know, a little bit of protein from the Parmesan cheese. If you choose a good bread to use as the croutons because you want them dry. So it's basically an herb bread cheese soup. Nice. Nice. So Heidi, my sweetie and I, have for the past couple of years, have been doing a a mineral broth. So basically what you're doing is you're pulling really the minerals and the essential oils out of the herbs into your broth, and that's what you're drinking, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And by the way, you're eating the herbs. This is not strained. Oh, got yes. it. Yeah, this is like, think French onion soup. You want all those goodies in the bowl uh-huh. all over the, the nice crusty bread, and you sprinkle the Parmesan cheese on top. I hope I'm getting everybody hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Janice... Janice just said, so Janice is the person that helps me do a lot of this stuff, and she's listening in this morning. She says, ooh, we should type that up and put it on the website. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So in the same vein, herb salads are also very common, but you you have to put aside the American huge bowl of greens, you know, lettuce and Boston lettuce and stuff like that. 
And what you're going to do is mix up several different herbs, ones that uh, go go well together. You know, maybe something lemony like right. sorrel or mm. cilantro and something tarragon-y like uh, tarragon or chervil. And you can throw in basil and parsley. By the way, parsley has, ounce for ounce, has more vitamin C in it than an orange. Um, really? Yeah, but but on the on the health side of it, it's very good for you. But parsley is also a diuretic, so you got to be kind oh, of oh, mindful yeah. of that. Yeah. So, so the, you, basically, what that means is it's going to clean you out if you eat too much, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but basically, you make a real you make your own nice vinaigrette, and you but and you're doing a small salad. We're talking about a typical small salad plate, not a bowl. Right. And because the the herbs want to wilt right away, this is one of the things where you dress it right before you're going to serve it to everybody. Oh, right. And yeah. and again, people are going to be really amazed how well this complements food. You know, if you're going to you can serve it with meat, fish, chicken, you could do it with tofu, you know, fried or marinated tofu cubes if you're a vegetarian mm-hmm. would work perfectly over this. Wow. Cool. Or or maybe and, you know, Heidi and I, a couple times a week, eat a nice big salad, mostly greens out of our yard. We could just start throwing in a bunch of herbs in there, yes? Absolutely. One of the things that I do when I do, whether I'm doing a green salad, as in the typical salad with other vegetables, mm-hmm. I do grain salads where I'll cook up quinoa or mm-hmm. barley, and I will mix an almost equivalent amount in that in the grain, the cooled grain, shredded herbs and lettuces so that you have something that's very close to a tabbouleh but you're you're getting all that wonderful flavor and the benefit of herbs like basil and parsley and chives you know oregano i love oregano in those kinds of salads because it really gives it an extra kick oh yeah no kidding no kidding and a lot of the herbs that you're talking about they just grow year after year in your yard right Oh, yeah. The uh, oregano, thyme, rosemary, those type of savory herbs, they're perennials here. And you you want to plant them in, in the valley. You want to plant them this time of year right. so that they have all winter to set down good roots. And once the plants get established, they usually tend to go nuts. You know, if you've got full sun and proper drainage, uh-huh. uh, they just kind of take off. <laughs> Most of those types of herbs bloom in the spring, so you have a profusion of blooms from you know, early March to, you know, through May usually. Uh-huh. And then if, if the, other than harvesting, if you need to give them a haircut, you just give them a whack back, you know, once in the, in the spring. And then they'll continue to flourish and grow through the summer and do it all again in the fall. Well, and a lot of these, so oregano, thyme, rosemary, they're all really winter hardy, are they not? Oh, yeah, these are perennials, even in four-season areas. Now, there is a, a limitation, though. These herbs are perennial anywhere, including here in the desert, uh-huh. um, but in very cold four-season climates, they may only last for three or four or five years. All right. But you'll get at least a good couple of years out of them. Yeah. Yeah, I know that I use, on my oregano and rosemary, I use the hedge trimmer. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't... They can they can really take over. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you mentioned one of my favorites. You you called it something I didn't get or didn't understand. You called it rose rose dell. No rosemary. Yeah. No, no. This is the sorrel. Oh, um, sorrel. 
Yeah. You have another name for sorrel. Oh, Roselle. Right. Roselle, yes. So, yeah, Roselle is a hibiscus. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Although it looks like a green growing in my yard. Uh, yeah, it, well, it's got this wonderful, people would think that it might be a different plant because of the three-fingered leaf on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's a gorgeous plant, and the entire plant is edible. And it is one of the highest vitamin C plants that you can grow in your garden. Mm-hmm. Very, very high in vitamin C. Typically, when people talk about it, it in the Caribbean, it's called sorrel or homica. It's uh, and I'm going to butcher the Latin name, but it's basically um, Roselle sabdifra. That was and, beautiful. You did great. <laughs> yeah. And the what is usually harvested is the lemony cranberry flavored calyx of the flower. It it uh, it, it mm-hmm. it's called a fruit because after the day old flower drops out, uh-huh. that calyx swells to five or six or seven times the size it originally started out at. Oh my gosh. And but the flower is edible. The leaves are edible. They're mm-hmm. they're also rich in vitamin C. They're tangy. They're great in a salad. Well, they're lemon, right? Very lemony, very mm-hmm. cranberry mm-hmm. flavored. And because my winter lettuce hasn't really started to come along enough for me to harvest, I've been using the hibiscus leaves and uh, sweet potato leaves and oh. uh, Egyptian spinach leaves in place of regular lettuce in things like sandwiches and soups and stews and stuff. One of the ways that I use herbs and greens with soups and stews is I'll make the soup or the stew and then I will shred a bunch of the mixture of whatever I've decided to pull out of the garden in the bottom of the bowl and then ladle the soup and the stew over it. Right on top of it. Oh, my gosh. Right. And that, the heat from the stew brings out the, the flavors and probably the essential oils, right? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Um, and and you haven't wilted them down. Right. You know, not not, not the, the way you would normally wilt something in the pan. Mm-hmm. So you've still got texture and, mm-hmm. and substance to, to the greens as you're eating them with your soup and stew. Wow. How cool is that? You've given us all kinds of great ideas on how to eat herbs and and why. This is cool. Well, you know, if you're cooking or baking, why not add these things to whatever it is you're cooking or baking? I, I make what I call a jam fruit bread. There's no uh-huh. reason to, to chop up because basil, for instance, goes great with most berries and fruit. Oh, so yeah. there's no reason to chop up, slice up some fresh basil leaves and mix it into the batter of your quick bread and uh, get that that little bit of extra different flavor and some color. Mm-hmm. Wow, cool. You mentioned something that I've been curious about for a very long time because they've got a bright green seed, and that's the Egyptian spinach. Uh, can you say more about that? That's a it's a curious plant because it grows in the summertime, right? Oh, yeah. I was introduced to that because I was looking for some lettuce options for the summer. I got the sweet potato leaves, which work real well. But, yeah, Egyptian spinach is actually a it's a jute plant, the fiber plant that people make ropes out of. But the leaves right. are really mild and tasty and grows prolifically through the summer. In fact, sometimes when you've got a plant, they'll they'll say don't you know don't try to eat the leaves when it's flowering because it may and it's that's not 
some people apply that to herbs. That really isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, but some other plants, they say don't eat the leaf when you're when it's flowering because it won't taste the same. I've been picking the leaves while this thing is putting out its seed buds. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to harvesting the seeds so I'll have new seed to, you know, first-generation seed to plant right. in the spring. Right. I know that Jake Mace, oh, the Mr. Vegan Athlete over at uh, Longevity Gardens in Tempe, harvests seeds by the tens of thousands off of his Egyptian Yes, yeah. I saw his video a while back, and he's got a really huge plant, so he's got lots of greens. <laughs> yeah. So I've always kind of in my head confused Egyptian spinach with Malabar spinach, but those are two completely different plants. Two completely, and I haven't yet grown the Malabar, mm-hmm. but yeah, Malabar is another one that does very well here in the summer, and mm-hmm. it's more yeah. of a, almost a vine. Oh, yeah. No, it's not almost. It is. We have some growing out in the backyard up against our outdoor shower, six feet, seven feet tall up uh-huh. and really dense and, you know, four feet wide. So it's they love, love the heat. And The roselle grows through the summer. The sweet mm-hmm. potato grows through the summer. The Egyptian mm-hmm. spinach, the Malabar. This gives people lots of wonderful options for greens when they when their their leaf lettuce and their kales aren't growing in the summertime right. here in the valley, and yeah. they're good for you. Absolutely. You know the the other thing that we have a fair amount of weeds that grow here in the desert that are great, great tasting. As well as very nutritious. Uh, are you? Do you harvest any weeds out of your yard and eat them? I've I've uh, done some of the purslane, and mm-hmm. I've tasted the mallow leaf. You know that the ubiquitous common mallow. Yep. You have to pick those pretty young for it to be, you know, something that you want to eat because the leaf gets hairy. Yeah. The purslane is full of vitamin C, and you know can make a really good addition to a salad. It's typically cooked in a stew type thing mm-hmm. where you would add things like tomatoes and squash to it. And those are the ones I'm most familiar with in terms of eating the weeds. Yeah. We have this little thing. I think it's an oxalis. Oh, yes. Yeah. It grows in your yard. It's a, like a, th- a three-leaf clover. Right. And they are so incredibly tasty. Yeah, very, very lemony. Yeah, the, the you do have to limit how much you eat at a certain time, at a certain sitting uh-huh. because of the oxalic acid. Mm-hmm. They they talk about that same thing with spinach. So it's more of a you know you're not going to eat pounds of it every day. That's not a good right. idea. But yes, <laughs> the, the oxalic is you know sometimes they call it wood sorrel and yeah. brown sorrel, very lemony, and vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, one of the things that I started practicing and playing with a few years ago here at the Urban Farm was to see how many flavors I could get growing in my yard. In fact, I think about 10 years ago I wrote an article about this, how many flavors you can get growing in your yard so that you actually don't have to use a dressing. Oh, good idea. Yeah, yeah. because there are so many incredible flavors that if you just you know kind of let your yard in places go wild and you know, have stuff come up. There's so many great things that come up. Yeah, and, and in that case, you might only just need to dress it with just a tiny bit of oil to give oil. it a little bit of uh, viscosity. But yes, yep. that's yep. one of the reasons for growing and using herbs to begin with is that you start out with all of the wonderful flavors that naturally occur in these mm-hmm. variety that we can grow. You start out with that, and then you think about adding other things, you know, salt or fat 
let's talk different kinds of basils because there are you've mentioned maybe a half a dozen different kinds of basils. Oh yeah, there's more than that. There's oh I think the count is up to about 47 different varieties, and they range from green to purple. And you know, I mentioned earlier that the purple means that there's athacanthins in them, like the the oh, purple right. uh, fruits, the blue, red, purple fruits yep. and vegetables. Yep. Well, there's also cinnamon basil, and it actually has one or more of the essential oils mm-hmm. that you would find in true cinnamon, so that you would get that benefit. And then there is lemon basil, and there's lime basil. Thai basil, I think I mentioned that earlier too, but I'll just repeat right. that. It has actually tarragon as part of the flavor um, profile in it. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's got basic, basic Italian, sweet Italian basil, has a lot of clove in it. And to that you add the tarragon and you get Thai basil or holy mm-hmm. basil. And then from there, there's different growth patterns of basil. Um, they've got some dwarf varieties where they've got really tiny mini leaves, the Genovese. Right. Um, and they're, they're, uh, a lot of people think that they have um, a, even more flavor than the regular sweet Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's a mammoth basil. They call it lettuce leaf basil. And if you pick, keep the flowers picked off, by the way, eat the flowers. Oh yeah, if you keep the flowers picked off of the lettuce leaf basil, those leaves can get as big as the palm of your hand. You can wow. use them in lettuce wraps. Yeah. Wow. You know, so so there's lots of there's different forms, there's different flavors, and all of these are the essential oils that we would associate with another plant, like lemon. It's got one or more of the essential oils that you find in a lemon or a lime or the cinnamon I mentioned, or tarragon, which is a totally different plant family. Right. Wow. There is so much to learn here. Where, tell us, how, how did you get into this? Because you've been into this a long time. Yeah, it's, it's over 30 years. And first of all, I moved here 40 years ago and discovered how much can be grown year-round. Uh-huh. And it was, it was a learning experience. You know, I call it trowel and error. Yep. And, but my father and uh, my ex-husband both had unalterable high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So that mm-hmm. meant... I over the years I had learned to cook without salt and very little fat, but the typical meals didn't have a lot of flavor in them. So I was mm-hmm. looking around for ways to put more flavor in. I started experimenting with more herbs and spices and started to try growing some of them on my own because of the fact that we can grow so much here year round. And it just, I would say, snowballed. I mean, I ran downhill after this, <laughs> trying to find everything that I was new to me, that uh-huh. I could try to experiment and grow here and figure out how to use, and then what else is similar to it. I talked to people at the farmer's market about what their grandparents grew and used. If uh, uh, And I've I've talked about this before, that if somebody was a new ethnicity to me, I asked them what their heritage was. And, you know, that and that kind of question sometimes makes people step back a little bit. But when I told them I wanted to learn what their grandparents or parents grew and used in the kitchen, it was like opening up a big blossom. They couldn't wait to tell me. Oh, yeah. And then I would go try to learn about the plant. I researched constantly 
because it's fascinating. I just found more recipes for using Roselle. You know, so it's it's just it's a wonderful journey. Yeah. It sounds to me like there's this absolutely never ending amount of data that you can get hold of on this. I think that, that that would probably be it in a nutshell. Every time I think I've found something new, and because people are always adding to the world's greatest database, which is the Internet, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pick up and decide to refresh my research on something, particularly if I'm going to give a talk on a specific subject, right. and I'll find new stuff. Or I'll find a plant that somebody said, this is just like X. There's a new... It's not an herb. There's a new vegetable that I just read about that is similar to Jerusalem artichokes, the sunchoke. Um, really? And yeah, and it's uh, crosne, C-R-O-S-N-E, and it grows underground as a tuber like the sunchokes. And one of the the limitations for a lot of people is it's very gnarly, and so it takes uh, quite a bit of cleaning. Oh and yeah. I happen to see, in fact, I'm going to apply this to the sunchokes because sometimes it can be the same problem, oh, yeah, getting yeah. all that dirt and stuff out of the crevices. Oh, yeah. I happened to catch a video online, and what they did was they washed them real good uh, through kosher salt, you know, in other words, the coarse salt over them, and then on a towel, and then rolled them back and forth in the towel, and the salt did two things. It rubbed off the extra uh, matter and dirt, and uh-huh. uh, slightly flavored it, and then it was ready to cook. Wow. Or, and by the way, the crowsney can eat can be eaten raw, like mm-hmm. the sunchoke. So, yeah, there's always something wonderful new to find, or a new way to prepare something that you've uh, been cooking for a long time. Any last thoughts? Just that I would encourage people to try growing herbs, even if it's just in a very large, like a two foot wide pot, sunny spot, good draining soil. If you've never grown an herb, just pick something like uh, uh, going forward here, dill, cilantro in the valley because they like the cool weather, uh, uh-huh. parsley. If you're somewhere in the Four Season area, in the spring, think about starting basil. You know, in, in fact, in Four Season areas, you can plant garlic right now, and then it comes up for you in the spring. All right, it over oh, just, just start and don't be don't be afraid, and then just go forward and grow. Yeah. What I tell people all the time is the easiest thing to grow and the most expensive thing to buy is your herbs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so. On a per on a per pound basis, herbs are worth a lot of money. A lot. There you go. There you go. I have a uh, huge oregano bush out in the front yard, and I got to figure out what to do with that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today on our chat with an expert, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, you bet. Greg Peterson here, and I want to thank you for listening to the Urban Farm Podcast. We wouldn't be able to keep doing these great shows without you. So as a token of my appreciation, I'd like to offer you access to a list of our top 10 episodes I personally find most inspiring. If you enjoy the Urban Farm Podcast but don't have time to listen to everyone, then you will love this list. Although all our guests have great information to offer, if you are short on time, These 10 are must-listens. To get access to the top 10 most inspiring podcast episodes, text FARMER to 44222. That's FARMER to 44222. And enjoy listening.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.